Shall we pray? Father, we rejoice that we serve a a risen Savior. We rejoice that indeed our Savior lives. May we uh, be able to reflect well this morning upon what you have done for us. If there is anyone here who is unclear as to whether they are yours, whether indeed they serve that risen Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, may your Spirit illuminate the heart and mind of that person to show and to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ to that heart. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This morning I'd like to speak to you about, um, about what you are. And that is a, a chal- very challenging topic. I, I um, in the interest of time, deleted as much as I included in seeking to prepare for this message. So if you find that there seems to be gaps in the theology, um, I would agree with you on that point. And we, as believers, have a responsibility to understand, I think, what we are and what God has done. And I believe that if we look at these uh, facts and if we think about these things and we feel that there's something amiss, that I am not sure whether I am his possession, I hope that this message will help to clarify what you need to do about that. Unime and I sometimes and others use uh, computer programs to try to describe things and these computer programs are sometimes called models and they can be very sophisticated and there's a proverb about models they're all wrong there is no um, systematization of things that are uh, in the natural world and immensely complex that in every respect mimic uh, reality. So this is in some sense a schematic or diagrammatic model of the human being. So right off the, off the top we have to say that it must be um, incomplete in some way. But the scriptures themselves teach us that man is a tripartite being. And I believe the scriptures support this kind of a layered model that we indeed have a body and that there is a person that lives inside of this body. That seems, I think, self-evident to all of us. Inside of that body, there is a soul, and at the very core of our being, there is our immortal spirits, that part of us that is given to us by God as our core being, as created entities. The barrier, as it were, between the body and soul is very important. The, <clears throat> the two words that come to my mind are castle and prison. Perhaps in some sense, we may feel that our spiritual being is imprisoned in this body. Well, in another sense, you should be thankful for that because your body is also, in an important sense, your castle. In the 1960s, uh, before perhaps various laws against this sort of experiment uh, came into play, 
people uh, experimented with this barrier, and to no good effect. A couple of things come to mind with regard to this barrier. One is a set of experience, uh, experiments on sensory deprivation that were done. Do you know that if you put a man in a tank of lukewarm water, make sure that he can breathe and that he cannot see or hear anything and cannot really feel anything because he's floating in a tank of lukewarm water, that his awareness of this natural barrier that God has given us between the inner man and the outer man begins to seem to dissolve as far as the individual is concerned. So they put, they did this. They put people in these tanks of lukewarm water and they said, here's the button that you need to press if you can't stand it anymore. Some people would press this button after an hour and a half because they could not cope with the hallucinations and the amount of distress that they found themselves in. And they came out and they said, that was the most horrible, I, how long was I in there? Was I in there three days? That was the most, I, I, it was awful. They said, you were in there for an hour and a half. Total loss of the passage, of sense of passage of time, loss of the sense of, of, uh, of containment by that castle that God has given us. That is, not a th that is not of God. It is no more of God than taking drugs and alcohol to the point that you lose all sense of yourself. That is inviting bad things. It is not what God intended. We have been given a barrier. Inside of that barrier, we often think of ourselves as having mind, emotions, and will. The intellectual part is part of what I believe the scriptures include as the psyche, to use the Greek word, and the, or the soul. The emotional part and the volitional part where the decision-making part, all of these reside in the soul. It is the seat of will, it is the basis for personality, and it is what we sometimes refer to as the sentient or awareness, self-awareness part of what we are, which is largely, of course, the mind. The question of what is our conscience, which I believe is also given to us by God, appears to be somewhere that crosses, something that crosses in between the barrier between soul and spirit. The interaction, as we see here, between the inner man and the outer man is mediated by our five senses, and the uh, scriptures speak about an, uh, uh, an aspect of that interaction which I only read about really in the, in the New Testament, and I will elaborate on the concept of the flesh, which is the New Testament word, the sarks, S-A-R-X. Now I'm on my own same page. <clears throat> the, I thought it, it, it would be well to think about the benefits of, of being a believer, that what we enjoy uh, and what we have in, very, in terms of various safeties and enjoyments would be a good thing for us to think about and beginning by way of contrast with the position of the unbeliever. We can look at 
various aspects of this, the idea of um, the body and the soul, and we all know that it is possible for the inner man to affect the outer man. What's the, what's the proverb that's possible these days? People say, stress kills, you know. Stress will kill you, you know. Well, there's a measure of truth in that, that uh, psychosomatic illness is the inner man having an actual effect on the health of the outer man. We read in um, 1 John 2.16 that all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. But you know, for the unbeliever, he looks at all that stuff and he goes, welcome, welcome. That is his stock and trade. Those are the very things that are part of everyday life. They're not even particularly recognizable as things of the world. What does that mean? That's, a, that's actually a Christian concept that the Apostle John warned us about. Similarly, when it comes to the flesh and the desires of the flesh, the appetites that are both in the body and in the soul, the desires, the word desire and the word flesh, usually together in the writings of Paul. And if we think that there is something um, particularly physical about this word flesh, we would be mistaken. The, when, you, when you do a bit of research on this idea and this word, you read and find out that this is more than just the things of your body that cause desire. Oh, yes. In fact, one writer pointed out that some of the desires that um, an individual may have might be considered very refined and totally ungodly. Very respectable and refined desires and nothing to do with God. In fact, against God. Oh, yes. I think we can think of examples like that. The, um, a very sobering thought is that Satan seeks, of course, to enter. He doesn't have the inherent right to enter, but he seeks to enter. It was pointed out to me by an elder of another assembly years ago that we often think about becoming a Christian and inviting the Lord Jesus Christ into our hearts, well and good and appropriate. But if you go down a very dark path and you want to play games with the occult, there are those who will even go so far as to invite Satan into their lives in a manner analogous to what God intended us to do, that is to invite the Christ into our hearts and lives, some, frighteningly enough, will invite evil into their lives. You know, there's a lot of scary interest in the occult, and by that I mean this. People who play with these things have no idea what they're dealing with. They have no concept of the power of the evil one that they're toying with. Heaven forbid, God did not want 
his children to have anything to do with such things, and nor should we. Are you equal? The, uh, the hymn writer uh, Martin Luther, right? A mighty fortress is our God. You read that hymn. He makes reference to the fact that you and I are not equal to the evil one in ourselves. Very true. Very true. Very sobering thought. Over time, by, I would say, in some sense, the helplessness of the unbeliever to resist these things, the mind can become darkened and is darkened. The inner man becomes increasingly corrupted as the believer, not only, un the, rather, the unbeliever unwittingly, unthinkingly, looks at the pleasures of the world and all that it offers and, in fact, welcomes these things. And they may not be the kinds of obvious pleasures John writes of the pride of life. Do you love the esteem of man and being in positions of power and authority and have people doing deferential things to you? The English word, or, or, or uh, <clears throat> of course, we steal a lot of words from French, but um, there are even examples of stealing words from Chinese that are in our language. Do you know the, the use of this word kowtow? Boy, does he ever kowtow to the boss. Every opportunity. Boss, yes. That comes from the Chinese word kutou, toe's head, bow the head. Kutou, kowtow. Do you like that when people do that to you? It might feel good. It's nothing to do with God. So there can be seemingly refined desires that are not so fleshly, but really they are fleshly. 1 Peter 5.8. Can anybody tell me who that talks about? It talks about Satan. And what does it compare him to? A lion. You up to that? Heaven forbid you should even think of that. We are not the equal of that spiritual being. He roams around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. What is your protection against that? Serious question. Are you up to that? I'm not up to that. I need a savior. I need a savior. I want to be a believer. And you know, through all of these things, the death principle is at work. The death principle, what I mean by that is, this body is breaking down toward the point of physical death. Yep, everybody knows that. You don't have to convince anybody of that. This sentient being, in and of itself, is going in the direction of death also. Broken relationships, hatred, all manner of things that are against God. The darkening, it's a serious matter. Believers. Now, here's a very good verse. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, completely wholly. And I pray, God, 
your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture recognizes these three aspects of what and who you are. And we have some advice there on the ingress or the attempt ingress of the world. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Which raises this question, do you know that the love of the Father is in you? I hope you do. I hope you know about that love. That love of the Father is the spirit-given empowerment against the ingress of things of the world. If they smell like the lust of the flesh or the lust of the eyes or the pride of life, those are signposts for you. There's markers for you. These are not of the Father. They're of the world. And so the way that I have portrayed it is that the love of the Father and the promise of our Lord Jesus Christ. What did he say in 1633 of John? I have overcome the world. Take comfort in that. Take power in that. It says in James, resist the devil and he will flee from you. The same him. Mighty fortress in our, is our God. What does it say about a little bit later in the same hymn? A little word will slay him. That word, the word, the word and the word, the Son of God. Satan has no, nothing against it. He has nothing to put up against it. The word, the Son of God, the word of God, infusing the mind and the soul. A little bit of it is the perfect and ultimate antidote and protection against such things. A little word shall slay him. I've always loved that part of that hymn. Paul writes about putting off the old man in Ephesians. Still there, sarks didn't cease to exist because the senses didn't cease to exist. But he teaches us to put off the old man and take on the new man. There's a new man with a personality that's in relation to Christ, that with a will that is submissive to Christ, and a mind and a purpose that has been changed. And why? Because the Holy Spirit is now resident in the believer. What a wonderful thing. That is something actually that the Old Testament saints could only infer. The actual explicit teaching of God coming and coming into a human being to live and making you the temple of God is very much a New Testament concept that we can greatly rejoice in. As a result of that, the most natural thing for us to do for the believer is to worship You have a new relationship with God. The core of your being, that precious life, is now within it, has the the Holy Spirit residing. One writer described the, the soul of the redeemed as having a new bent or a new disposition. A new disposition. Another writer pointed out that redemption works from the inside out. 
That's actually not only true in our, or should not only be true in the experience of the believer. It's actually going to be true in a very literal sense, as I will share with you. So what I have here is, um, I have about five or six slides left. And I'm going to go body, soul, spirit. Some notes at the front. Then three facts and a myth. Three facts and a myth. Three facts and a myth. Body, soul, spirit. And at the very end, I want to ask you a question. I want you to get ready for this question. Evans, in his great book, uh, it's actually called The Great Doctrines of the Bible. It's It's a very good reference book. Adapting his definition to make it fit in two lines, the material part of man is the body created to be the instrument by which soul and spirit relate to the material universe and in God's plan and intention and in doing so to fulfill God's will, to glorify God, to fulfill God's will. Three facts and a myth. Fact one, our material bodies were originally perfect. 131, very good. How good is good when God says, very good? I am fearfully and wonderfully made, said David in Psalm 139. God took all those molecules out of the surface of the crust of the earth and made DNA and mitochondria and Golgi bodies inside your cell and put it all together in a multifaceted system, an endocrinal system, and a skeletal system, a muscular system. Incredible. A miracle. Anybody here wondering what Chon's P-T-E means? You are 19, I guess, 99.9% Chon's P. Carbon, hydrogen, oxygen, nitrogen, sulfur, and phosphorus. That's most of you. Render you all down, you might be worth a couple of bucks. <laughs> my, wife, my wife sells chemicals out of the tower building. You render you down to those elemental things, and you, you're not you're actually... There's a lot more to you than that, though, isn't there, as we're seeing? And the TE is trace elements. For example, if you somehow find a way to exclude selenium from your diet, all your hair will fall out. I can see the day where I'm going to need a selenium supplement if I follow my father's path. Miraculously, wonderfully, fearfully put together out of dust, the chemicals of the earth's surface. 2-7, and the Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Breathe, it's a pneuma. It's, it's the same idea of wind. This is the spirit, the immortal spirit, the core of the being, a precious gift. Breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. Wow. Our bodies, number two fact, though fallen in a source of sorrow, Paul talks about groaning. Two or three of us, I think, are aware of this kind of experience. It doesn't get any better, does it? We groan within ourselves. However, however, 
They're very much part of how we can and serve God. We are the first fruits of the Spirit, and even when we within ourselves groan, waiting for the adoption, to wit, the redemption of our body. This as to the service, it's interesting that it's not couched in a language of highly theoretical spiritualism. How can you serve the Lord? By using your mouth to serve the Lord. By working with your hands to serve the Lord. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. The body is not to be sort of discounted or discarded. Thirdly, as, as actually was alluded to in 828, one day the bodies of all men will be resurrected. Do you know that? As in Adam all die, so in Christ shall all be made alive. However, if you are a believer, you go first. Believers before, well before non-believers. Believers' redeemed bodies will be glorious and new in the resurrection. Philippians 3.21 who will change our vile body, sure enough, vile, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. And of course, 1 Corinthians 15, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. A myth? Our bodies as material entities subject to the fall are evil. Everything about your body is evil. That's an actual teaching. To be despised and even repeatedly harmed. That's actually one of the earliest church heresies. And Paul was dealing with it in the book of Colossians. That's a myth. That's false doctrine. The soul. First of all, it's worth pointing out that um, there is, uh, to a degree, both in English and in Greek, a certain interchangeability that happens when using the word soul. Because, here's the perfect language, uh, the perfect example, I'm looking at Victor with his extensive naval experience, here's the perfect example of the idea that sometimes we use the soul to, to, to refer to a, a person, because a person has a soul. What, what, if you're on a sinking ship, what, what's, the, what's the Morse code that goes out? SOS. What is SOS? I, I don't even know. It could be three dashes and three dots and three dashes. Victor? Or, or is it three dots and three dashes and three dots? I don't know Morse code. Three dots, three dashes, three dots. S-O-S, Morse code. Save our souls, we're going down. Come get us, we're going down. Do we, do we actually mean just the soul? Don't worry about my, oh yes, I want the whole thing, please. I, I, I really want to get in a boat. I don't want to be in the one I'm in. Save our souls. So even in the New Testament and in the Bible, you will see a certain interchangeability between the idea of soul and other aspects. Matthew 2.20 is the example I gave. It's actually about the, it's about the, the young Lord Jesus. 
Those who seek his soul are, are, are dead. There's nobody seeking the soul of the Lord Jesus and trying to kill him. They're dead. Some translations say his life. It's actually, it's, it says his soul, but as I've explained, that can just refer to the person. Now we come to some details about this idea of sarks, the flesh, desires of the flesh. So there's some cryptic stuff. I always use that to save space with respect to, or with regard to, WRT. The flesh, three things happen with respect to the sarks, as the New Testament calls it. It is very much a New Testament concept when a person becomes a believer. First of all, there's an, an awareness of it that the person didn't really have before they're saved because it's, it's, it's just me, it's just what I want. That's just me. That's not an enemy, that's me. It's like not seeing, it's like looking in the mirror and not seeing yourself. That's just me, it's nothing to see. Oh, this is not my friend. I am now in a struggle with this. I'm now aware of an enemy that God gives me the grace to battle. And previously, I thought that enemy was my friend. And that enemy promotes desires, even refined ones, which we realize because of redemption are ungodly, ungodly desires of the flesh. And like the children of Israel dealing with the analog of the flesh in the New Testament, that is Amalek, the instruction of the New Testament is the same as the instruction of the Old Testament. Give it no quarter. Show it no mercy. That is how you deal with it in the power of God. Not obligated to follow that. Not obligated. You don't have to be defeated by that. Three facts and a myth. First, the soul continues after death. That means, this is very significant, that the suffering or joy that is associated with people, what people like to call the hereafter, is going to be conscious. Why do I put that verse there regarding the perishing of the bottle? Because there are those sometimes on the sidewalk, I met them outside the sidewalk of my, my place of work, who are teaching uh, annihilation, annihilation. And they will quote uh, uh, verses that use the word perish with regard to the soul to support the idea that the soul like Buddhism, as it happens, ceases to exist when you die. But the idea of perish is the idea of rendering useless. What's the use of a piece of goat skin that used to be a bottle? It's, it's destroyed, it's useless, it's, it's perished. It's useless. It's not fulfilling its intended purpose. It's that exact same word, bottle still, the material still exists, but it's not fulfilling its intended purpose. The seat of personality needs to be under the yoke of Jesus Christ. This is an amazing thing. It's amazing to me how the aspect of your morale affects your ability and willingness to do things. If you feel demoralized, it just deflates your balloon 
and you don't feel the motivation, and sometimes those things which are necessary just don't get done, they don't get addressed. Well, if that kind of thing is happening to you a lot as a believer, there is a yoke, that, a, 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 paradoxically an additional burden that isn't one that you need to take on. And that is the yoke of Christ. Learn of me. Take on my, in quotes, burden. And you will find, oddly enough, rest for your souls. You find refreshment from taking on that onto your soul, onto your very personality, onto your being. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The seed of the will should be taken up with loving God. Jesus said to him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Do you have the love of the Father in you as given to you by God as a believer, as a redeemed person? I hope so. Myth. What I feed on has no effect on me. Take in anything at all. Listen to anything, watch anything, do anything. That's just... And, and that's kind of against common sense, isn't it? But I have a, a, bad, a piece of bad news for you. This is exactly what is being taught in our public school systems. Do you have a desire? Explore it. Do you feel like doing something? Try it. Do it. What? It's, a, it's even against common sense to suggest that you follow every desire that comes into your heart and mind. My goodness. You'll very quickly find that there's a darkening of the soul if you follow every desire that comes. Jesus was speaking of the eye, but of course we have five senses. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Inside of us is a being. The spirit, that immaterial part of man that represents the special core of that precious imparted life given to man by God himself. Three facts and a myth. Spirit is inseparable, uh, sorry, is separable from the body, but not from the soul. The Lord Jesus uh, raising the maiden by her hand from the dead, and it says, and her spirit came again. That's at the behest of God. God gave you your core being, and if God wills in Christ for it to come back into you, that's because he's God. He put it in all men in the first place, and Jesus showed who he was by having that girl's spirit, the core being given to go by God to us, come back into her. And she arose straightway, and he commanded to give her meat. And, and with her body coming back and her spirit coming back, of course, her personality came back. The same girl came back. The spirit influences the soul. Redemption works from the inside out. 
and is fed by God's word. Only God's word works at the interface between your spirit and your soul. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of the soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Wow. That is a... That is a marvelous and unique thing, is it not? That God's word can get down to that depth. You know, that's exactly what we need. Sometimes it's very disconcerting for us to subject ourselves or submit ourselves to that. It's God's scalpel, but it's what we need. Redeemed men can worship God in their spirits. People will tell you out there in the world that every kind of spiritual experience is just as valuable and just as valid as any and every other kind. It's total nonsense. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. In truth. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life life itself myth the soul and the spirit are the same thing no they are not annihilated at death they can be distinguished they just can't be separated this is my question to you all at 10 after 12 can you entrust all that you are to you your own self for care and keeping Whoa. Do you have any idea what you're taking on if you say that you can? I will tell you to your face. You don't. You don't know what you're getting into. You don't know what an impossible job that is. It's impossible. God intended for us to entrust our whole selves to him. That is what we need. The Lord Jesus said, I know my sheep, and at the end of at 29 of chapter 10, and no one can pluck them out of my hand. Paul, chapter 8 of Romans, no one, nothing can separate us from the love of, of Christ. Can't be plucked, can't be separated. This is where you need to be. The believer knows that he needs to be there. That's where we have to be. And we look forward one day to that redemption, not only of everything inside, but everything outside too. Can you do that? Is that within your capability? None of that is remotely within your capability as an unredeemed human being. None of it. It all depends on God. Even the Apostle Paul, he is able to keep that which I committed against that day. He's able. I trust him with everything. That is what we need to do. That is the level and depth and completeness of the trust. Giving ourselves, all of us. I think even believers sometimes, you say, well, emotionally I need this and that, you know. That's part of you. Do you trust the Lord with your emotional well-being and the decisions that arise from that? Well, that's just actually part of the story. You need to trust the Lord with all of what you are, what God has given you, what you have become. You need redemption 
You need to allow the redemption of God to work its work by His Spirit within yourself. If you don't know these things, if you aren't sure whether you are trusting your whole being into the hands of the Great Shepherd, I would implore you to do so because you are not remotely going to be able to, re to accomplish your redemption of your three-part being, not even remotely. This is something which is of God and by God and something that every human being needs to do. I trust that you know what it means to trust in God with your whole self and to trust God with your whole self. I apologize for going over time this morning. After we pray, I thought maybe we'll just sing one verse of the last hymn that we sang. Shall we pray? Our Father, we are humbled by uh, your word and we are humbled that we have to admit that the power that is needed for redemption is from and can only be from you. We confess it. We admit it. We want to entrust our whole beings unto you. Those of us, Lord, who know you look forward to that day of redemption. If there's anyone who doesn't know what it means to know you and to look forward to that day, may your spirit work in the heart of that person this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.